Awesome. Well, once again, happy Easter. It is great to be with you today. If I missed you earlier, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community. And I, I forgot to mention earlier, but we do have communion available um, throughout the time. It's over here on the side. Uh, and, and there's just little cups that you can take. There's a scripture verse you can read along with that. Uh, after, after we're done today, you can partake of that or during the service anytime that's for you. Well, I'm excited to engage with you on Easter Sunday, and uh, it's, it's, it's always a, a, a conversation I love to have and talk about why we celebrate. And, and you know, we, we just sang this song, it says, no longer I who live, but Jesus lives in me, and, and uh, all of this for your glory. And what is it that leads us to this place where we say, I believe in you, and my life is lived for you, and it's, it's kind of it's different um, to say that, you know, like that Christ is our identity and he is who we live for. And we, we do that because we believe he is, he, is, uh, he is the God of this universe. He's made us, created us, and, and that he is the best thing that we can pursue, that we are made to live for him. And that just doesn't really sound right for us. And it's like, what leads us to that point? And it's, it's, and it's understandably can be hard because um, it involves a miracle, <laughs> It involves a miracle. And it was interesting because our, in, in our culture, we're, we are both fascinated and, with miracles, at the same time highly skeptical of that. And so we love to bring it into like any kind of fantasy story or sci-fi story or any kind of, uh, you, know, you know, maybe even romance movies. You know, like everything, well, we love to kind of bring that element into things, into the plot, and we're, we're inspired by forces beyond ourselves. But then... In our real lives, we would be very skeptical of this actually happening, and, and so I get that. Um, um, but I believe there's still, still something there holding out hope. And so when it comes to miracles, well, it's, 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 we're skeptical because it's, it's, it's against science, it's against laws, like it's, it's a miracle, so that kind of makes sense. But there's still kind of that hope there, right? Like, you know, you get to that test that you should have studied better for in college, and, you know, you're praying for that miracle, like you're literally kind of hoping in this moment that it exists, um, and that may or may not have worked out, depending on, you know, and so, or the street cleaner, you're just praying that it's late, late for this today, like you're running out trying to not get a ticket, uh, or maybe you've prayed for jury duty to be canceled, and suddenly you believe in God, and you're just kind of praying for that, you know, whatever that, maybe, maybe you've prayed for your boss to be sick. You laugh because, yeah, you, you probably did pray for that. You're such terrible people. That's why you need to be here on Easter, I guess. I don't know. Um, or you prayed for that your team to hit that miracle three-point shot. Uh, you know, we just got through with March Madness, and what was it, SDU? Hit that shot at the buzzer to send them in the final. That was incredible. Like, somebody was praying for that, and then somebody's hopes were like, somebody bet the wrong way. And that was not great for them. But yeah, uh, you pray for that, and maybe that might happen. Um, you know, cover the spread, whatever it may be. Or you're praying for that girl to go out with you. Um, or you're praying for the guy that don't ever call me again. I don't know, like there's just things that we pray for, and we're kind of hoping for these miracles. But then if we do, even if we do get it, we don't really, like we just move on. Like maybe you prayed those, God, I'll do this if you you know, follow through, you know, and then when it happens, you usually walk away. Maybe that's why you're here today. <laughs> Somebody hit the miracle three, so you're like, okay, I'll come. I don't know, but we usually forget because um, we don't really believe that it was a 
miracle. We got lucky. And I get it. Like, it really should be that way because a miracle should be impossible. And so, um, and so for much of modern times, you know, right, we, the assumption is made from historians and, historians, and this is good, really, that miracles simply cannot happen. So that creates a dilemma for our Christian faith because the center of everything that we believe is founded on a miracle. Interesting. So the resurrection of Jesus then can present an interesting or major historical problem. But that's okay. And so I welcome that because that is a phenomenal question to engage. And so if you're here today and have doubts, I can certainly sympathize with you. Because the center of everything we believe starts with Christ's resurrection from the dead. Um, and so, you know, when you look at our world, we look for things that we can state as fact, that it must be real, so we naturally doubt it. And what's fascinating is I think we just kind of assume that um, based on just religious antics and other things that come out of the church and different things, that like everybody, like everybody who followed Christ didn't doubt. Like they just didn't have that kind of, but that's not true at all. But even after his resurrection, we, we show, they wrote about people who doubted, they weren't there, and we'll, we'll, we'll go into that a little bit. And so Jesus engaged that. He, would, he engaged in a place where he welcomed questions and people engaged him. And so that's one of our hopes here, and that this is a safe place for you to come and ask your questions of God because we believe that it will lead to faith if you genuinely pursue that. And so, you know, that's why I, I, I hear things as a pastor like, I like the teachings of Jesus, or we think we do. <laughs> we assume we do, but I don't think I can accept the whole other part. But the really interesting issue with that was when it comes to Jesus' teachings, when you look at it, is he based the whole thing upon himself. Like, it, it could not happen without him being here. And so that is why at the, his death on a cross, he was crucified on a cross by the Roman government, that, that his followers lost hope and abandoned him. Because he, he had great teachings and wisdom about life, absolutely, but it was all dependent upon him. And so when he died, they were, they were actually shocked. Even though he was talking about his death coming, he talked about his death in the three days he would rise again, but they just thought he was talking in a metaphor or something that was like a parable. He always talked in stories and shared things and taught things through stories, so they were probably just thinking that way. But this is why for us, everything centers upon his resurrection, and that's really where we should start. And so if Jesus did rise from the grave, if that really happened, and it's true, we should, you need to seriously think about that, and then we, it helps us accept and lean into everything that he said and wrestle with things that are hard for us. But if he didn't, then, then we don't have to obey, we don't have to follow, then everything else kind of falls by the wayside. So it really is the first question. And what's awesome and amazing is there really is evidence. And one of the great things to say is, you know, is, is to try to prove that he didn't rise from the grave. It's, it's a legitimate part of pursuing faith, and that's really hard to do. And so for Christ followers, it gives us incredible hope because it did happen. It shows us that God does exist. It, it means that we are made to be eternal. There is more than life right now. 
there's great meanings. We don't have to be afraid of death because God has the power to overcome that. That even in death, we win because we're made to be eternal. But they're skeptical arguments. And so we can lean into those. If it's true, then we don't have to be afraid of that. And so people will say, well, at that time, people didn't really have our current scientific knowledge. And so, you know, people say, well, we used, you know, people had faith just to help them get through hard times in life. And now that we've kind of come to a modern thing, you know, and, and understanding of life, we don't need that anymore and we'll do by the wayside. And what's fascinating is the exact opposite has happened worldwide. In fact, um, those who have really leaned into this stance, they've watched themselves commit some of the worst things we've seen in our history out of walking away from, you know, a, a belief in God. And so it, it causes us to question that. But th- we think, you know, they just didn't have our current reasoning and scientific knowledge. And it's ironically um, an ignorant statement over time when you don't really understand what's happening historically. Because another thing we'll say is, well, they, they welcomed magical and supernatural events. And we kind of combine those two together that, they, you know, that was just their thinking at the time, that they were kind of looking for those things and that just assumed that happened. Another thing people say is it, it's easy to be fooled about Jesus because of they believe resurrection from the dead was possible. Like that was the, the people are kind of always looking for that. And we'll find that that wasn't true. Uh, another thing people say, Jesus' followers created the myth of his resurrection after the heartbreak of seeing him killed. And so, like, you know, they'll say, well, some claimed visions say that he lived on in their hearts. And so, you know, they just kept that going. And so the gospel written accounts that we have of his life, these full written accounts that have been preserved in their full form, like historical documents, like we look and we, we, we have things that we say as fact from the past. We just have fragments of the documents. Well, here we have all these full written accounts of his life. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written to kind of per, to, you know, pursue those thoughts and to have him live on in our hearts and kind of keep that legacy alive so they didn't look completely stupid. Okay, those are great skeptical questions. They're legitimate, and people pursue those. What's amazing is these are all fallacies. When you research and look into this, it's incredibly hard to actually stand up on any of those questions. And so our assumptions, ironically, come from a lack of understanding ourselves of the historical place and the culture of the time and everything else that goes around that. And so, you know, I'll go into one argument is that, you know, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the empty tomb and eyewitnesses were all, were really just fabrications. And so these written accounts. But what's interesting is those were not actually the first written accounts that we have of the Christian faith. The first letters that we see were written only 15 to 20 years after Jesus' death and his resurrection. And these are letters from who we call Paul, the Apostle Paul. Maybe you've heard of him. He lived an incredibly significant life and wrote um, much of the New Testament scriptures that we have. And what we see is this evidence of an early Christian church that is alive in the Greco-Roman world. And they are suffering incredible persecution. You see the habits of the early church and they, they, write about the, and they write about those things, and I'll, I'll read about this here in just a second. But historians agree that this is only 15 to 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so here we find Paul writing to one of these early churches. This is found in what we call 1 Corinthians. It's a church in Corinth, an actual city, and a historical place and time. 
And he says this, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. What do you mean by according to the Scriptures? He's talking about what we now call the Old Testament Scriptures that were, that were leading, everything was pointing in this story to Jesus' arrival, coming in his death and resurrection. He fulfilled what was, what was predicted hundreds of years before and he just states the foundation of our faith, that he, that, <clears throat> that he died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. And he continues, he says, and that he appeared to Peter, one of the early leaders of the church, and then to the twelve, which was the kind of the, the, they were the apostles of Christ, they were his closest followers, and they led the early church. And he says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have died by this point. He's like, just so you know, right now there are like almost 500 eyewitnesses to this account. This is a bold challenge. He's like, go and find them. Travel because of the, the, the Roman world and all they had done was accessible. You could travel. It wasn't that hard. And they could. And many of them probably did. They could go and talk to these eyewitnesses. Another challenge is that we see, you know, it, so that kind of it, it shows that there's a Christian faith that was alive, it was interactive. And these written accounts, this is all happening before the four written accounts came out. Uh, and there are all kinds of things that make it tough for fabrication to be made. In these four written accounts, they did things that were against culture of the time. And if, if you were trying to make up something, these are the opposite of what people would have done. One of them is really interesting is that women were the first eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And this is unfortunate, but this is true. In the culture of the time, women's, uh, women's you know, would not, their, their word, their testimony would have not been allowed in the court of law. It was not deemed to be credible. And so maybe this is, we got a lot of built-up anger from the past, right? So it's understandable. It wasn't incredible. And so to write a written account to say that women were the first eyewitnesses, they would have been, people would have said, you can't write that. People won't accept it. They're like, what do you mean? This is what happened. And they wrote that out. And ironically enough, it's one of the reasons we, that, that make it an incredibly strong account. They, they talked about themselves in negative ways. They showed their unbelief and the struggles that they had and the doubts they had of Jesus. That normally would have never have happened. And then you have the empty tomb of Jesus and the eyewitnesses. And they all said, you know, they all talked about this together. And, and, and so they, they said they're kind of trying to make this up. The problem is, that, that this, this church rose up in Jerusalem where this happened. And so it, they, they, with all those people that were, like thousands of people beginning to have faith in Christ, and no one, and that, that and I, we'll see here in a second, that, re, that resulted in a complete cultural shift for thousands of people, which is unprecedented in history. But here we are, no one in Jerusalem would have believed if the tomb was actually like, they wouldn't have believed it if, if it didn't happen. Somebody would have come up, would have produced a body. In fact, we know that the government was, was working to make sure that that didn't happen. Skeptics who were, who were strong would have produced a body, and the whole movement would have ended. It would have ended. 
makes it incredibly hard. And then there's the myth that people wanted a resurrection. What we know in looking at history is that the view of the universal view of people at the time was that a bodily resurrection was impossible. In fact, you know, if any beliefs that people would have had is, was that they wanted out. Like to come back would have been like, no way. We don't want to come back. We want to escape into something that is better. A resurrection is something that would have not been, have wanted. In the, in the Jewish tradition, um, there's no way that a human becomes divine. That was, that was absolutely not okay. It would, have been, it would have been blasphemy. It would have been blasphemy to state that. And for someone to come in and say, this is what it should be, and making that up, it would have been outright, outright rejected unless something happened. And then, as I, I kind of alluded to this, a new world view, completely brand new worldview, exploded onto the scene almost immediately. It was a new, incredibly unique, and as we've learned, going against culture at the time. For a new worldview to be established, it takes years of discussion and argument until kind of one side wins out and say, okay, this is the view. And it usually takes decades for that to happen. And, but this Christian view of the resurrection, it was unprecedented in history, sprang up immediately after the death of Jesus. There was no process, no debating. They were just telling others what they had seen themselves. And to have scores of Jewish believers begin believing in the resurrection overnight, is, is, is like that was, it would have been impossible unless some enormous event broke through all of that Jewish resistance and barriers. When you begin to look at and try to disprove it, it becomes incredibly hard because there's so many things that happened at the time that are impossible to explain. People say, well, a legend just developed over time. But again, we have Paul's letters. And then you have Nero, the Roman emperor, who was immediately trying to, to snuff out the church. They were trying to destroy all the documents, and they persecuted it and killed them in awful ways that's been documented. It usually takes 60 years for a legend to begin to develop. And all the eyewitnesses have to die first. But 30 years in, Nero is aggressively persecuting the Christians. And there were thousands, thousands upon thousands, and it just spread and spread and spread in an exponential way, despite all the intense death, families giving up their lives, seeing their children be killed in front of them. All of this was happening. And they believed that Jesus rose from the dead, and they were living in Rome long before we ever had what we call the Bible, the New Testament Scriptures. And almost all of the apostles and early Christian leaders died for their faith. It's hard for that to happen just to support a hoax. That's interesting, isn't it? Unless some amazing event happened in the resurrection. 
Have you ever found yourself in a circumstance where you were not expecting it, and then you realize afterwards, like this is like you were you're naive to a situation going on. Uh, I, I've that you know those are the awkward moments of life, and so I unfortunately have had many. <laughs> but one was interesting is about 15 years ago, my wife and I were visiting the Netherlands, and I don't know if anybody here is from the Netherlands, but they have a really interesting thing there called coffee houses. And if you've been to the Netherlands, you know what I'm talking about, or maybe you're about to have your own like, oh, moment. But coffee houses is where it's, it's legal to go and smoke pot. To, to, you can buy cannabis and, and, and smoke it, and it's a whole weird arrangement. And I think it's still going on where like, it's illegal to, for these places to buy pot, but they can serve it and sell it, and they just create this you know, line, and it makes it accessible, and they're just trying to decriminalize that situation between soft and hard drugs is what they want to do, and so there's, they call the back door and the front door, like the back door somehow gets in, <laughs> and so, but this happens, well, I didn't know these existed, had no clue, and we were, my wife and I, she was there for work, and she was on a work trip, and I tagged along, and those are always fun because the hotel is free. And so we, I was in between jobs. We were actually in the process of moving to New York. I was going to start a new job in New York, uh, working for a church at the time and in a couple of, of weeks from then. And so I was actually looking for apartments in Jersey City. And we knew we were going to move here. And I didn't have anything to do. Like I was completely free while she was running this event that she was organizing there. And, and so I, one of my jobs was to find places to eat. And we were outside of Amsterdam, several miles outside of Amsterdam. And we're in this tiny town, and there wasn't a lot of places. And as I went around, I, I found out in hindsight that I was walking into these coffee houses. And one of them, I remember one of them looked amazing. It was decorated well, uh, and it looked like a restaurant. And in, in this town, there was not really, there was no signs in English. Very few people at least wanted to speak English to me. And I would just, from their perspective, they would just, this random dude, knock on the door during the day when they weren't busy and being like, hey, do you have food here? And I just remember having these really awkward interactions. And I just think about it from their perspective, and I just laugh. I was this totally naive tourist showing up, and I don't know if they can understand me. Uh, they're, you know, maybe they just started early on <laughs> smoking. I, but you ask these questions like, did you not smell anything? Like, I walk down the streets here, I know one block away, two floors up. It's almost like I can pinpoint where it is before I get, even on the block, I know somebody's smoking pot. Like, I know it. And so, I'm like, I'm just so confused. I have all these questions. Like, how naive could I be? Was there a strong wind going on that day, like, outside? I never went in. Um, and so, there were, not, there were no signs, and I eventually just moved on and found actual restaurants, and... We ate at those places, but then we were having conversations. You know, we were there with a bunch of people who lived in the Netherlands, and they were like, yeah, have you heard about these coffee houses? And they started explaining it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> now I know all these interactions that I had. And then I was walking down the street, I'm like, there's one. That's the place I went to. Like, you could see them immediately, and you're just suddenly like, oh, you get it. I'm probably the only one that has interactions like this all the time in my life, but there you go. Um, well, somehow I'm going to transition from that to talking about the resurrection and Easter. <laughs> but this is kind of the situations that we see. Um, we're not smoking pot, as far as we know, um, but in the, in the scriptures here. The followers of Jesus were not expecting to find him resurrected from the dead. Like, they were absolutely devastated. And so 
on the third day, the morning of his resurrection, they're beginning to do things totally from the perspective of he's fully dead. And this is one of the reasons why we believe these written accounts, because they don't paint themselves in a positive light. Most people would fabricate that, be like, yeah, we were ready for them, and we were there, and they weren't. And so one of the interactions is from the uh, woman named Mary Magdalene. And the reason she's called Mary Magdalene, one of the reasons is because there was like a million Marys in the New Testament scriptures. Everybody was named Mary. I should serious. And there's one scene where there's three Marys in a row. Um, and so I'm going to pick this up in John 20 and just read through this. Uh, it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now, Mary Magdalene is, has been portrayed in in culture, as um, Jesus Christ superstar brings her out, and for some reason over time, she was portrayed as a prostitute, and uh, it's just weird. That's not the truth at all. She was healed by Jesus. We do know that, um, but it's just in case you're wondering if you're familiar with that name because of different things, like that just is never the case. It just happened. It's so strange. But anyway, but she was impacted by Christ, and she was one of his close followers, and she was going to the tomb because they had to rush Jesus into the grave. When he was killed, the Jewish Passover was about to happen, and they had to, as quickly as possible, get him into a tomb. And so she was most likely going back to kind of finish that process that they didn't fully get to do, and this is the first chance that she would have had to do this. So she's going to do something that was an awful task, but she really loved Jesus. And she's going there not because she's expecting resurrection, as you will see. And so she's extraordinarily grateful but here she is on what we now call Easter morning. And, and she was, you know, thinking Jesus was still dead. And so it, it continues here. So she uh, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so uh, they quickly... In, in normal times, when the crucifixion would have happened, uh, someone would have been just put, dumped into a public grave. They, it was incredibly, there's a tremendous amount of death at the time. Remember, people trying to escape the world. Um, and so his followers begged for his body and were able to get it, and they were able to put it into a tomb, and that's why it was there. And they had this huge stone covering it. It would, had been guarded, been guarded uh, by the government. They didn't want any kind of claim that Jesus rose from the grave happening. It's really interesting. And so they did their best and all these different things to get him embalmed quickly. And so here's Mary, and she finds it empty. And so she's alarmed, totally alarmed, and she goes and runs to the, you know, the leaders that were the part of the 12 that we mentioned earlier. And so it says here, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which is John. John referred to himself as the other disciple in, in his written account, um, and so he says, she came to run into Simon Peter and John, the one Jesus loved. <laughs> That's how he referred to himself. I love that. And said, they have taken the Lord. He didn't say that like that way. <laughs> he was saying it out of a genuine love and compassion for Christ. Not like, oh, he's the one that Jesus loved. Okay, that's funny. Uh, maybe it did. Maybe that was a, a, you know, a rub at Peter. Okay, anyway. Um, I never thought about that. That's funny. Okay. She came running to Simon Peter, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. It's like she doesn't think that he's resurrected. It hasn't crossed her mind. And so Peter and John run to the tomb. 
They run there fast. And when they see, they see his clothes, and they're not just kind of, his clothes are folded up. Literally, it says they're, they're folded. And these would have been really expensive uh, garments. The burial clothes would have been really expensive garments. If somebody had robbed this grave, those would not have been there. It would have been worth a tremendous amount of money. And so they, it shows that Simon, Peter, and John believe they're like, oh my goodness. And so they run back to where they are, and, and Mary then comes back to the tomb. So it says, then the disciples went back to where they are staring, staying, and then it says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She's sitting here. She's devastated. Like they had poured their whole lives into this. They believed that he's Messiah. They had seen him do miracles, and she just can't fathom that. It's a devastation, like when you've had incredible heartbreak in your life, or maybe you've lost a loved one, or life hasn't gone the way that you wanted it to. That's the feeling that she has in this moment, and she is weeping. It didn't work out. God didn't come through. To have to to believe that God has turned their back on them is a devastating feeling. Who Who in the world do you trust? All of us get that to that place in life, including following God. God leads us into places that aren't easy. That's the Christmas story. That in the middle of darkness, God does bring hope, and that was what was about to happen. And it says that she wept. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. And here's the miracle begins to happen. She sees it. She says, then they ask her, woman, why are you crying? In their perspective, there's no reason to cry. The ultimate celebration on earth has just happened. So they say, woman, why are you crying? She says, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw, I mean, she's, angels are sitting there, like, she's not seeing it. So this is me at that coffee house thing at the door. Like, she, all this evidence is happening, and she doesn't see it because she's looking at it through a completely different view. She turns around and sees Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he has to be smiling so incredibly big, looking at her. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? <laughs> the same thing. Who, I love it, it says, who is it that you are looking for? And a fascinating statement, and she would have told this story. I thought he was a gardener. It says, thinking that he was the gardener. When she's telling this story, hi, Jesus is in front of me, and I thought he was a gardener. Can you believe that? Thinking of the gardener, she says, sir, <laughs> if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary, he says her name. He knew her name, and she knew how he said her name. You know how that is? We know somebody so deeply. I remember growing up, this is a totally weird memory, growing up in church, and I'd be some random place seated, and I would hear my dad cough somewhere else in the audience, and I knew it was him. (laughs) Like, Like my dad's cough. Like you just know somebody so, so well. He says, Mary. And she turned to him. I, I just can't imagine this. She goes from thinking he's fully dead to suddenly realizing he's right there. And she says, she must have screamed it. It says, uh, 
She cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she grabs him. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I have ascended. I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And I love that statement because because of what Jesus has done. There was a gap. He had to die. There was a gap between us and God. Our wrong that we did separated us from him, and we needed someone to come and to bridge that gap. And only Jesus could do, could do that. And now because of Christ, he's like, he is your God and my God. Jesus made a way for us to be accepted by the Father just as Jesus was. We call it the beautiful exchange. He got what we deserve, which is death, and we got what he deserved, which is incredible life and access to the Father. He's invited us into this relationship. He says, I'm, I'm going to be ascending to my Father and your Father. That's why we pray, Father, Daddy. That's what, how Jesus engaged his heavenly Father. And so Mary then runs back to the disciples. She suddenly appears to them out of breath a second time. And she says, I have seen the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine being some of the others that were there? The first interaction, it's like, yeah, they've taken him for the grave. And then like time goes past. Peter and John come back, and they're pretty amazed. And then Mary's like, he's alive. I've seen him. Like just incredible events that's happening. And so this is the account of the resurrection, the first who saw it, and then the world exploded, and Jesus sent us out. His whole plan was to, for us to, to be part of, of, of engaging and loving the world. And the world changed because of this. And we're skeptical. But here's the thing. You should want this to be true. And you don't have to believe all of this right now in this moment. But you're invited to come and ask your questions and look into it, just like others did. We should want it to be true. And following Jesus isn't always easy. But what helps us wrestle with those hard moments is knowing the foundation we stand upon and the freedom that he came to bring for us. He didn't come to put a religious system in place. He came to break it and bring us into a relationship with God. And that's our hope, is that we can remove barriers. We're not always good at it, but to bring us into a relationship with God. And that's what his gathering of people, the church, is all about. And you're invited into this journey. If this is your first time with us, we love that you're here and that you've, you've made your way today. And we just encourage you to just take steps in your own time and engage this incredible God who's pursued us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day and your words and the, the opportunity to talk about the greatest celebration that we have. And we don't have to be afraid of question because it can lead us to belief. I pray that we would celebrate today because all of heaven celebrates and you love to throw parties. And I pray that we would enjoy who you are. I also pray today that we would not be afraid to pursue faith in you. It's the start of, of, of true life and joy, and we need that in our world today. We thank you, Father, and ask all of this.